Amen. Thank you, Jim. How many of you can remember going to an old-fashioned arcade? One where you still had to put quarters in in order to play? Now everything's with cards and you swipe them. And, but I remember one of my childhood memories that stands out to me is that we spent $10 in quarters. Me, my brother, and my dad, we were on vacation, and we found, I think it was a Ninja Turtles game. And it had four places where people could stand in front of the arcade game. And you know what was one of the things about it is we were terrible, but as long as we had money, we could keep playing. As long as we could put in another quarter, you got another chance. The same thing is true for many video games today. The idea is that if you mess up, you can start over again. You can reset it, you can load a saved game, and it's really not that serious if something goes wrong. It may be true for video games, but sadly, it's not true for life. We only get one life to either use well or to waste. Unfortunately, many people are wasting their lives. Most aren't criminals. They're not substance abusers. They're not the dregs of society. In fact, they're mostly average people. They're working, they're studying, they're playing, they're perhaps even achieving things that our world would say is good. And every once in a while, perhaps you've been there, you've glimpsed that there's something more. There's something more than the job. There's something more than the weekend that's coming up. There's something more than the vacation. There's something more than the, uh, the newest gadget to buy, the larger television, the new outfit, the new degree, a greater purpose, something more, next level of meaning. And then, after you have these glimpses, after you have these moments, life comes rolling back in, doesn't it? It comes rolling back in in the necessities of life, of paying the bills, of getting the kids out or taking care of the home, of medical problems, of hobbies. They all come rolling back in and those moments are gone. But I want you to know those brief moments of insight, if we don't learn what those are about, of that feeling, that calling to something grander than what we're doing with our lives now, something lasting, something eternal, if we don't learn what that is truly about, then we're going to waste our lives. There is a far greater life, and you and I are called to it. God's Word gives us an uncomfortable truth this morning. Hopefully, even though it's uncomfortable, it will motivate us to live that far greater life. In James chapter 4 and verse number 13, would you turn there with me if you have your Bibles handy? In James chapter 4 and verse number 13, the Word of God says this, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Let's pray together. Father, may you open your word to us this morning, bless by the guidance of your spirit into truth. In Jesus' name, amen. James is one of these very practical books of the Bible. Lots of practical behavior connected with our beliefs. If we believe a certain way, we're going to behave a certain way. The two are connected with one another. And a belief that doesn't behave, you have to ask yourself, is that a true belief that we have? 
And we're beginning a new sermon series on the stewardship of life. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? And we begin here with the idea of playing games. This was a topic that came up during youth camp this year. During youth camp, the, the speaker was encouraging the young people not to play games with their lives because it's so easy to make the wrong decision that leaves scars and baggage and hardship for the rest of your life. Some of you have experienced that, either yourselves, and praise God for his redeeming grace, or some of you have seen it in the lives of your children or in your grandchildren. And so the warning is not just to the young, but to all of us to be careful that we're not playing as though we can put another quarter in, as though we can, we can load up our last save and begin again. In verse number 13, the word of God says, go to, in other words, listen up, pay attention. He's going to give us something that we absolutely need to hear. In fact, like I said, it's an uncomfortable truth. We're very much about making people comfortable today, right? I want you to be comfortable in church in the sense of the air conditioning's working well and the pews and everything's clean around you. But I have been in church many times and the best church services were where I was uncomfortable. Do you know why I was uncomfortable? Because God was right and I was wrong about something. And he told me that I was wrong. Any of you like to be told that you're wrong? I don't particularly enjoy that. But here, he's correcting this idea. Where it says in verse 13, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Here's what he's saying is that there are people that they, they have some sort of plan. It may be today or tomorrow, we're going to travel here, we're going to set up shop, we're going to have business. We'll be there, I don't know, maybe a year we're going to be there. And then we're going to, we're going to make a profit off of it. And they've got plans and they've got ideas of what it is that they want to do. And people usually think that they have all the time in the world to make their plans happen. And they usually think that they have control, that they can make these things happen. You know what's terrifying? When you realize how little control you have over the things in life that matter the most to you. You ever had that moment? When you realize, you ever been in the hospital with somebody that you loved and realized you were powerless to do anything about it? Have you ever been in a place where it was somebody else making decisions about your life? Maybe it was your job. Maybe it was about your schooling. Maybe it was about your, your home and whether or not you get to stay in your home. Maybe it's doctors deciding. There's nothing worse than waiting for test results, is there? Because there's nothing you can do to speed it up. And you get the sneaking suspicion that they knew right away, but no one wanted to tell you. Does anybody else feel like that there's, there's something going on? I'm glad they don't tell you right away. I went in one time when I dislocated my shoulder. And you know how the, the person that does, I think it's a radiologist, the one that actually does the scans, they're not supposed to tell you. They have to give it to a doctor first. And she, she did the scan and she's like, oh man, it's messed up. It is broken in a million pieces. And I'm like, what? And then the doctor comes in, well, it's dislocated, but there's no breaks. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad. That that, but she gave me a little, little concern there for a moment. It's powerless. And, and when you think about these moments of powerlessness, you're either going to forget God or you're going to remember God. If you forget God, you're going to go into a spiral of anxiety and worry and fear. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Would you look with me in Romans chapter 8 for a moment? In Romans chapter 8. 
when you have that realization that things aren't really in your control, and we talk about all the things that we can do and all the freedoms that we have, but you can't even choose who your neighbor is, right? You can't even choose if they're going to have what you want to buy in the store, if it's actually going to be in stock these days. And in Romans chapter 8, in verse number 6, it says two different options here of how we look at the world. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, if you know Christ as Savior, if there was ever a moment when by faith you believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose from the grave, if you have ever had that moment and you called on the Lord to save you, then you're a believer and the Spirit of God lives inside of you. But that doesn't always mean that we listen to the Spirit of God. How many of you have ignored good advice? I have ignored good advice. My wife has given me so much good advice, but until the doctor says it to me, I don't listen. And then I come home and say, well, the doctor said, and she just gives me this look. Like, I could have saved you that copay. I've already told you that. And she was right. I'm like, oh, you said that? And then the look gets deeper, and I, I get in trouble deeper. You can either look at something in the flesh forgetting God and worry. Or, or you can look at it in the Spirit. And you know what you find in the Spirit is life and peace. You say, I'm not in control of this. <sighs> it's not up to me. God is in control. I don't know what these test results are, so don't let me worry about it. Let me give it over to God and let me rest in that. Because to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Otherwise, you're going to drive yourself crazy. It says to be carnally minded is death. We go back to this idea in James chapter 4 of these people that they think that they are guaranteed more time. Today, tomorrow, we're going to do this, do that. And you know, someday, maybe we'll change our plans. And you hear people talk about, someday I'm going to get serious about being the right kind of husband or the right kind of wife. Someday I'm going to get serious about uh, being the right kind of father or mother. Or someday I'm going to get serious about taking care of my spiritual health. One of these days, I'm going to start reading the Bible. One of these days, I'm going to start praying. One of these days, one of these days, one of these days. And yet, unfortunately, what we find is that we're not guaranteed time. But we think we are. Do you remember being invincible when you were 18? How many of you were 18? Anybody 18 in here? Right? A few people are still 18. You are invincible right now. But there's going to be this scary day that comes when you realize that there's plenty of kryptonite out there. Superman, superwoman, supergirl, whatever it is. You're going to realize you're not invincible. And that's, that's a little bit of a scary thought when you realize that first time you're in the hospital and you don't know what's wrong. That's, that's unnerving because we think we have all of this time, but we're not guaranteed it. Look at what he says in verse number 14. Whereas, meaning that you think you know what you're doing, but actually it's the opposite. You think you know what's going to happen, but really it's the opposite. Whereas, ye know not what shall be on the morrow. You're telling me what you're going to do for a year, but you and I really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow is the closest time as far as days go. If you and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, how can we possibly know what's going to happen a year out? How do we tell ourselves we've got all the time in the world to get things right in our relationships, in our walk with God, in our private life, in our service to God in the church, whether it's in the community. We've got all this time. We're going to have plenty of time to make everything right. Unfortunately, that's, that's not always time. I have, 
I have a very sad situation that happened. There's a neighbor of mine that passed away. We called him Popo, but his, his actual name was not Popo, it was Dennis. He just happened to be the grandfather of one of the kids that my kids played with, two houses down, and he was scared to death of me. Papa was this big, gruff man, farmer, and every time I was around, he would run because I was, quote, the preacher. <laughs> and he thought something, would bad, something bad would happen if I was around. And I, I tried to make some inroads, and they were usually, and, and my wife and his wife, they got along great, but he, I was over there one time, they had a litter of puppies, they, they breed Bernie's Mountain Dogs, which are great dogs if you like big dogs, and I was over there playing with the puppies, and he didn't know I was there, and he walked in his house, and you've never seen somebody leave so quickly. I think he thought I was going to get him or something. I'm going to just like get him and hit him with religion or something like that. And I can laugh about it in some respects. At that time, I could because I thought there would always be more time to speak with him. There would always be more time for him to get assurance that he was truly saved, that eventually he would open up and we'd be able to talk. But he got, he got cancer and he passed away very quickly. And he never wanted me to come see him. And he heard the gospel is what his wife said, and I, I pray that he's saved. But we all thought that he would have more time. We all thought that he would have more time. And God forbid, what if he thought he had more time, and one day I'll let the preacher talk to me. Right now, I don't want to do it. He says, whereas, whereas, in verse 14, you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? What is your life? Usually, we're too busy living our lives to even think about what our lives are. We're so busy day in and day, and I'm guilty as anybody. I like to, to squeeze as much time into a day as possible. I took these classes on organizing your schedule, and I have this great planner, and our phone does so much for us. You know what I did with all the time that I freed myself up with? Put more stuff in it. Right? You just do more stuff. Now I'm free to do more work, right? And we don't even think about what, are, what is our life. What is our life? What are we doing with the time that we have here? How much time do we really have left? I want to, to die as a very old, old man, surrounded by my, my grandchildren and great-grandchildren, people saying, wow, I can't believe that he lived healthy and in his clear mind to 120 years old. Right? <laughs> That's what I want. But I'm not guaranteed that. I'm not, I am blessed that I am not allergic to bees. Because about a week ago, I got stung by about 30 bees that were upset with me. It was not fun. And then the, the, like two days later, just a one-off, a random bee flung by, flew by and stung me. Just randomly. I wasn't even doing anything to make it mad. The first time, we were trying to move something in our yard, and I pulled up a piece of plywood that had been sitting there, and there was a nest of yellow jackets underneath it. And they didn't appreciate me ripping the roof off of the nursery part of their nest, and they let me know about it. I mean, you know, and afterwards I hurt and I was itchy, but I want you to know with that many bees, had I been allergic, let alone severely allergic, I could have been dead because of that. You say, didn't you have any idea that there were bees under there? No. I was just moving a rabbit hutch around our yard and I picked up a piece of wood and there they were. We think we know, but we don't. And so you think about what is your life? Well, here's what we're told about it. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. 
when you get a really hot bowl of soup, especially if it's a little bit cold, you get a nice hot cup of coffee and you see the steam coming off of it, that vapor coming off of it, and you can just blow on it and it's gone. And it doesn't, it doesn't rise up here from the, the coffee cup. It doesn't rise. It's just after a little while, it's, it's gone and you don't see it anymore. He says that is how brief our life is. It, think, it seems like it's going to be a long time, but in light of eternity, it's very short. You are going to exist as long as God exists. There's a part of you that is not your body. It is your soul and your spirit. And that is eternal. And it's going to spend eternity in one of two places, either with God and all of the peace and rewards that he has in heaven, or separated from God in a very real place called hell. But you will not cease to exist. You are not a body with a soul. You're a soul that has a body. And it's temporary. And this life will seem very, very short. Let me ask a few of our friends here. I won't ask you to, to raise your hand because this is going to be perhaps embarrassing. But if you're 80 years old, how many of you... Well, I can ask this question without getting in trouble. How many of you would say 80 years old is a pretty decent life? That's a good amount of time to live. How many of you would say like 80 years old is probably, yeah, I would like to make it to 80. I think that would be pretty good. Now, how many of you who are in that age range would say it went by like that? Amen. Right? You know, it went by very quickly, didn't it? Just a moment ago, you were a kid right? Just a moment ago, you were, you were newly uh, graduated from high school. Just a moment ago, you were perhaps newly married or newly into your career or into the military uh, or, or into the job force, whatever it is. And now all of a sudden you look back and you think, I'm retired? Who are all of these little people calling me great grandpa and great grandma? What is that? It seems long to those of us on this side of it, but as time goes on, it gets faster. And fa I always hated when people told me that when I had my little children and I hadn't slept in like seven days. And they're like, oh, treasure the moment. It goes so fast. I'm like, if it goes so fast, then you watch my kids. But then you look around and you're like, I have no more babies. And you're like, where, where are my babies? And before you know it, they're driving and out of the house. I mean, it's, it's coming. It's, it, does, it does go faster. I know it's annoying and I'm sorry to say it. But it's, it's brief here. It's very brief here. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. There is an end to it. There is an end to it. There is the great possibility that the Lord Jesus Christ will return in our lifetimes. He, he is coming again. That's not a possibility. That's a certainty. He may come in this generation to gather those that know him as Savior to himself in that great moment of the rapture when we're caught up together. That may very well happen. There are many people who believe that that's going to happen in our generation. And I don't necessarily disagree with them. But there have been lots of other generations, too, that have thought it would happen in their day and age. And so I don't want to uh, be overly, uh, perhaps, certain on something that I can't be certain on. But if the Lord Jesus tarries his coming in our lifetime, you and I will die. No one wants to talk about that. No one wants to talk about that. I don't even want to talk about that. You know, you're all bold and you say, I'm, I'm no Christ to Savior, I'm, I'm ready to meet God. Yeah, until they're putting electrodes on you for an EKG reading and you, you have trouble breathing and you got pain shooting down your arm and you're like, wait, wait, not, not now. I mean, I'm ready, but not now. It has an end. 
And if we never contemplate the end, we will think that, hey, today, tomorrow, we're going to go into a city about a year, do some business, get some gain. We've got plans. We've got plans and they're out there. No, what should we do with it? Should we not make plans? No, I'm fine with making plans, but we better make sure that we factor somebody in when we make plans. Verse number 15. For ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We shall live and do this or that. He said, what does God say about your plans? Because God's the only one who knows the future. And if God wills, if God desires, if it's what the Lord wants for us, then that's what we ought to be setting ourselves to with this one life that we've been given to live. It's, it's very easy to waste time. It's actually easier than, than you think it is, right? You, you've had that happen. You've lost hours, right? We can even go to our, our idea of the video game, which is the theme that they got for our graphics this time. How many of you have ever, I remember I was in college. I remember a certain Saturday. I rolled out of bed, had nothing to do all day, sat down in front of the computer, first thing I woke up, and then it was 5 p.m. And I hadn't showered, I hadn't eaten anything. There are people, there was a, there was a game many, many years ago, probably about 20 years ago, called StarCraft. Most of you have probably never heard of it. But it became such a sensation in Korea, South Korea, that people would go to these, they called them PC rooms, and you could play the game there, and it was online, and you could use their computer, and it was great, except people got so into it that they'd stopped drinking, and they stopped eating, and people legitimately died from dehydration while playing that game. Now, I'm not saying if you play Flappy Bird on your phone, you're in danger of dying from dehydration, but you know how easy it is to waste time. Look in Proverbs 6, would you? In Proverbs 6, and there are many more ways to waste time. Whether it's the television, whether it's our phones, whether it's even just going in the wrong direction while achieving. Look in Proverbs 6 in verse number 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no guide overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Proverbs 6 and verse 9. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. He's saying, beware of laziness. A sluggard is somebody that's very lazy who makes lots of excuses for not doing the things that they need to do. And he says, look at the ant. The ant doesn't have anybody over him telling him what to do in the sense of we have bosses and people telling us what to do, and yet he still does what's needful at the right time. Just a little more sleep, a little more slumber, not that big of a deal. And then as somebody that travels or is an armed bandit, that's a sudden thing that happened. You know how many people called ahead in Bible times to let them know that they're coming to stay at your house? Zero people called ahead. They just showed up. Once upon a time, people used to just show up at our houses. How many of you remember that? People just showing up at your house, right? Aunts, uncles, they'd show up with the cousins. They just showed up after dinner. They didn't even call. Today, if you show up at somebody's house and you don't call, that's bad. 
We had people that were sort of on their way out of the church and we kept calling them and we kept texting them and calling them and texting them and we were worried because we hadn't seen much of them. And so finally we couldn't get a hold of them and so we had to stop over. Apparently they changed phone numbers and never told anybody. And so we just showed up at their house and they were not ready for us to be there. And they were horrified and we never saw them again. They were not ready to receive company. It's like as somebody that travels just shows up as an armed man jumps out from behind a, a rock or a tree, someplace where they were hiding to accost you as you were in the road. It's a sudden thing that will happen. It seems like there'll be plenty of time to change my ways, but there's not plenty of time. You see, it's easy to give our one life to things that are fading away. Look in 1 John, would you? 1 John chapter 2. You see, there's a whole world out there that's separated from God. It's a world of temporary things. It's a world of godlessness. It's a world where they think and act and speak without taking God into their frame whatsoever. It becomes very selfish and very wicked very quickly. It's been pulled behind by our great enemy, the adversary, the devil. And there's a danger of loving it. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's a great, great danger. And it's not necessarily that we're giving our lives to bad things. It's just good things that God doesn't have for us. It's, a, it's the, the difference between choosing between good and the best. Good and the best. So what do we take away? What do we take away from this in the beginning of our series on the stewardship of life? The first thing that I want you, if you're in the habit of writing things down, take note, recognize the brevity of life. Recognize how brief life is. If we don't, we'll continue to live like we have more time. Life is short. And I know it seems like you're going to have forever. You're going to have forever. But the reality is, we need to live each day knowing that it could be our last. If this was the last day of your... You know, today will be somebody's last day. Did you, did you think about that? Today, I hope it's nobody in here. I hope it's not me. But once I get there, I don't think I'll be worried about it. It's somebody's day today. We need to be ready to meet God. And that means two things. One is, do you know for certain that when you die, heaven is your home? That you'll go to heaven when you die. And I'm not asking if you're a good person or a bad person. I'm not asking if you're a member of this church or any other church. I'm not asking if you've been christened, baptized, confirmed. I'm not asking any of those things. Has there ever been a time when simply by faith you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to be your Savior? Amen. Believing that he died for you and rose from the grave. I wasn't in church. There wasn't a preacher around. I was 18 years old and I knelt down at the side of my bed and I asked the Lord to forgive my sins and to be my Savior. And you know what? He saved me. And my life changed courses. And it was one of the most amazing things, but not just for this life, but for the life to come. 
I realized that I was a sinner in need of salvation. And sin is simply this. God says, don't do this bad thing, and we do it anyway. That's sin. God says, do this good stuff, and we say, I can't be bothered with that. That's sin. And if you have sinned, and everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says, let's all be honest. If we had to go back through a a history of our life, we'd all have things that we wouldn't want shown on these screens. Times when we lied and we lusted and we hated and we stole, dishonored our parents, worshipped something other than God, whether that was education or money or career, comfort, pleasure. We've all done that. So all of us are in need of a Savior. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I want you to know that God has gone to great lengths so that you don't go to hell when you die, you go to heaven. In fact, though we sinned against Him, we wronged Him, He's the one who bailed us out. And he did it at great cost by giving his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Jesus became a man without ceasing to be God. And he lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross for you and for me. And on the third day, he rose from the grave, proving that he was who he said he was. If you take nothing else home, that is what you need to take home today. You need to be ready to meet God because your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. You being a good person, it will not be enough. You being a member of this church, it will not be enough. You could get baptized every Sunday in that water and it would not be enough. Only if you've trusted Christ as Savior will it be enough. That's not a Baptist thing. That's not a Catholic thing. That's not a Methodist thing. That is a Bible thing. The second thing we need to be ready for is that we've lived the right kind of life. And that's that's the point it brings us to is to not waste it. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. It's easy to do it. How? Don't change anything. Don't change anything. If you feel like you're wasting your life and you just keep letting it go on, then you'll waste it. It's easy to allow distractions, lesser things, to rule our schedule, to rule our finances, to rule our efforts. Listen, this is hard, but I'm going, I'm going to say something because I love you as your pastor. You cannot wait until life isn't hard or isn't busy to serve God. You cannot wait until life isn't hard or any busy, isn't busy anymore to serve God. If you wait for that, it will never happen. You can't wait until things get quieter and, and easier to start reading your Bible and praying because something will always come up and you will not have a walk with God. You will not have that personal quiet time. You can't wait until things slow down to get faithful in your church attendance. You can't wait until you have more money to start giving whether it's to the church or to those that are in need. You can't wait until your schedule frees up or you get done with school or this job or this season or what, in order to serve God in the church or out in the community. If you wait, it will never happen. This is our one life and it's going by every day. You know how you waste your life? You waste a minute. You waste an hour. You waste a day. You waste a week. You waste a month and a year, and before you know it, you wait. Because what is your life? Our lives are made up of time. We don't know how much time we have, but we've all been given some time. And that is how you waste your life, is you waste your time. You spend it on the things that are not important. That's our third thing, is to yield your life to God. Yield your life to God. Surrender. If you're not a believer, this begins by trusting Christ as your Savior. But if you already are a believer, what this means is that you are going to let God and God's Word set the direction for your life. And that's in every area. That's in every area. Not in an abstract way. 
right? People say, well, I gave my life to God. How did your life change afterwards? It didn't. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about an emotional reaction. I'm not talking about signing some card, but actually making a change. What does this mean for how you'll live today if you're going to yield your life to God? What does it mean for how you'll live this week if you yield your life to God? What does it mean for the next month? This means your finances. This means your schedule. This means your career. This means your studies. This means your efforts. This means what you're going to do with your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday and your Friday, even your Friday night, even your Saturday night. When we choose to yield our life to God, which is the greatest choice that a Christian can make outside of salvation, then we'll finally live that far greater life that Christ has been talking about. And you know what? He doesn't just say, here's the bar, meet it. He doesn't say, here's how high you have to jump, jump it. He works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Isn't God good? He not only makes the order, but he, he pays for the order. He makes sure that we can do it. It looks like this. Lord, whatever you have for me, I say yes. You mean before you hear it? People are very nervous when I call them on the phone and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, can you help me with something? And they're like, what is that something? And they're like, what are you doing right now? Stuff. Because they're worried I'm going to ask them to do something here at church. And if they give me a blank check and be like, I'm not doing anything, pastor. And they think I just have this list of terrible jobs and I'm just waiting to call people and, and give them to them, right? That's what they think is going on. It is not going on. But they don't want to say yes with a blank check because what if he asks me to do something? Because it could be, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, I could be asking you to help someone move. <laughs> and you're like, oh, why didn't I say I was busy? We get like that with God. We say, God, I'll do what you want me to do with my life. I will change when I wake up and the first things I do in the morning. I'll change when I go to bed and what are the last things I do in the day. I'll change how I spend my time. I'll change my hobbies. I will change my career if you ask me to. I will change my course of study if you ask me to. All of it is yours. Just tell me what you want and I'll do it. Oftentimes we say, well, only up to the point where I'm comfortable with it. The far greater life will not be found by drawing lines and telling God no further. It won't be found there. It won't be found there. You know how I know it? I tried it. It doesn't work. You say boundaries are healthy. You need boundaries with people because people don't always have your best interest at heart. Not 24 hours a day. God always has your best interest. Better than you have for yourself or I have for myself. So setting boundaries between you and God is never a good idea. It's like, hey, person who loves me the most and knows the most and wants the best for me, stop helping me so much. Yield your life to God. Make the decision to surrender. In just a moment, we're going to have what we call a time of invitation. And during a time of invitation, we invite you to act in your own heart and mind about what it is that God has spoken to you about this morning. People are going to bow their heads and some will be praying. Some will stand and sing when the, the song begins. Some people may come and choose to pray up here. I'll be down here at the, at the head of this aisle. And if you don't know Christ as Savior, while others are coming, you come and let me know. And say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. And someone will take you aside privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and they'll show you from God's word how you can know without a doubt 
that heaven is your home and your sins are forgiven. But perhaps you're here this morning and you need to make the decision to say, Lord, yes. Yes to what? To all of it. To whatever he asks you. To fully commit your life to God. Perhaps you've done that before, believer. But as often happens, we let life come in. We let other obligations come in. And maybe they're not bad, but maybe they're not the best. And we need to rededicate our lives to Christ. You don't have to pray up here, but this this altar, this place, these, these stairs, oftentimes people will come because they want to make a definite change, a definite moment. They want to step out. They want to draw a line in the sand and say, I am done with this selfish way of living. I'm done wasting my life. I am going to be what God has saved me to be. Maybe you need to do that this morning. If you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, if you've never joined this church, but you feel God leading you to join this church, put your life and influence here as a member. Whatever it is that God has spoken to you about, in just a moment, we're going to invite you in your own heart and mind to act on it. One of the worst things that you could do, one of the worst things that you could do is to walk out of here without knowing Christ. To walk out of here thinking, I don't need that, I don't need him, I don't agree with that preacher, because you don't know how much time you have left. You say, preacher, are you trying to scare me into getting saved? Yes. If you're not scared of the idea of eternal torment, I don't, know, I don't know how to help you. It's terrifying. Especially when God has gone to such great lengths so that nobody has to go there. We deserve it, but he did everything so we don't have to. Christian, don't let another Sunday go by. Don't let it just be another sermon. Let this be a moment when things change. And you say, yes. No to self, yes to God. You yield, you surrender. That song, all to Jesus, I surrender. I think I have lied more singing that song than in any other time in my life. God help us. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I want to thank you so much for your good attention. In just a moment, the piano will start playing. Song leader will tell us what song we'll sing. But for right now, in this quietness in God's house, what does the Lord put his finger on? What is God talking to you about? What needs to change? What needs to be done more of? Whatever it is, would you say yes to him? Father, we give this time of invitation to you because you're worthy. You've done so much for us, Lord. It's our reasonable service to give ourselves entirely back to you. If there's any here today that don't know you as Savior, may today be the glad day when they get that settled. For those of us that are your children that need to dedicate or rededicate our lives, may your goodness so overwhelm us that we have no desire but to say yes everything you ask. Be glorified in how we obey the prompting of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.